In uh, Genesis uh, chapter number 50, I'll begin reading in verse 24 and verse 25, then we'll skip down to Exodus. The Bible said, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into a land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph uh, took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye should carry up my bones from thence. Now let's drop down, if you will, to Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Verse 11. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. Verse 13. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, or hard labor. Verse 14. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field and all their service when they made them serve was with rigor. Verse 22, And Pharaoh charged all of his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. And then in chapter number three, verse, or chapter number 2, verse 23, It came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of bondage. And God heard their groanings, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect to them. Chapter 3, verse number 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, and a large land, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come up unto me, and I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians, the Egyptians, oppress them. I am going to, uh, this week as the Lord leads, for as long as He leads, I want to, um, I want to take an analogy and a, ty- a type of where the children of Israel were found here in the book of Exodus. And let us see and compare it to where God has us in this day and age in which we live. For you see, Egypt is a type of this world in many ways. I mentioned three. One, the children of Israel were in Egypt, but they were not of Egypt. Jesus said, ye are in the world, but ye are not of the world. The children of Israel were hated by the Egyptians. Jesus said, This world hath hated me, it shall hate you also. It was also in Egypt that God 
redeemed His people and brought them out. It too is in this world that Jesus came according to the will of the Father and died on the cross to redeem sinners. And thank God He will take us out. And so I want us to see this this picture of, of where Israel was in Egypt and where you are personally in your locale and your situation where you find yourself in your world. And this morning, by laying foundation, I want to preach on this subject, the reality of this world, or the reality of Egypt. I, I come to you with what the Scripture has to say about the children of Israel and their experiences in their world. But also, we know firsthand about our experiences in this world. And we know what the Bible has to say about what our experiences are supposed to be as far as this world is concerned. And I I somehow feel within me that I associate with the children of Israel because I feel this cry at times, and I think that they made this cry. And it is this, if we are the children of Abraham, if we are the sons of Jacob, if we are God's people, what in the world are we doing here? And haven't there been those days in your life when those uh, overwhelming circumstances came your way and uh, you have within yourself said, Lord, if I am your child, if I am saved and born again, then, then why is this my lot? Why has this befallen me? What in the world am I doing right here at this point and this time? What am I doing in my world or Egypt, so to speak? Now, as we think about this place called Egypt, I want us to look, first of all, at what I call the history of Egypt. If we're going to understand the workings of God among the children of Israel in that land, we have to understand how it came about. What was the, the history of it? And when I look at the history of, uh, of Egypt, I realize that uh, the history included at least two things. One, the history of Egypt was a history of or about people. Uh, When we read about what the scripture says about Egypt, it lists and lets us know of of people and how, how they were entangled or how they were connected and how they were brought into Egypt, into that land. But I have to have you to understand that when we think about the history the reality of the history of Egypt, we're not looking at it from a secular standpoint. This is not the written history of, of secularism or historians, Josephus or someone like that. But the history that we have about he, Egypt is what heaven recorded and what heaven had to say about Egypt. And when I read the, the scriptures, I, I, it had never dawned on me that in reading the scriptures about the children of Israel's experience in Egypt, that, that God's word, which is heaven's history, and that's what we're concerned with anyway, does not list the names of but one Egyptian. Isn't that amazing? There's no listing of King Tut. There's no listing of Cleopatra. There's no listing of great generals. There's no listing 
of, of the names of the, of the pharaohs and, and things of that nature. Now, if we were to get secular books that go back several thousand years, uh, they, will, they will try to give us some of the names of some of these kings as they suppose that they ruled at that point in time. But when we read heaven's history about a world uh, called Egypt, heaven doesn't even record the names of the people who were Egyptians or the ones that were in control or the kings that were there. We simply have as one name, of course, the, the uh, owner of Joseph. And uh, that, that is uh, Potiphar is as far as it goes. And you know why? Because when heaven records history of what is taking place in this world, Heaven's not concerned with who who the presidents are. Heaven is not concerned with who the senators are. Heaven's not paying a lot of attention to the Congress. But what heaven is doing is heaven records the names of God's children that have been placed in this world at any point in time and the circumstances and the events that they go through while they are here. Boy, it blessed my soul to see that that uh, heaven goes all the way back and records, begins the history with, with Abraham, the covenant with Abraham. We read twice that this, this matter of which God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you the children as I promised you, but I'm going to send them into a land of affliction. They'll be there 430 years and they will be afflicted there. So the history goes back really to Abraham and then it comes down, it mentions Isaac. And then it mentions Jacob. And of course, Joseph is listed because he is the forerunner that is sent into that world, that foreign place, uh, that, that place of uh, idolatry. And, uh, and then it is through him that his father and 70 of the family members are brought down into this land that is called Egypt. So we have their names recorded there and, and what what Joseph had to go through while he was there. And then, uh, of course, we have the names of, uh, of uh, Moses' mother and father. And then we have uh, uh, Jochebed and Amram. And then we have the name of Moses. We have Aaron. We have Miriam. We, we have names, but those names are all names of God's people that have been placed in that world. And heaven is recording their history. Can I suggest to you that the important thing that is happening right now is not what's happening in Washington, not what this world is doing, but the important thing is, is, is what is heaven recording concerning you as you pass through this world? You are actually the one that uh, God, you're, you're writing history by your life. And think about Joseph, how, how heaven recorded the history of Joseph being so faithful a servant as he was. And, and think about Moses and how God recorded Moses' faithfulness too and how his mother and daddy and how they by faith did as they did. And these, 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 these things, these people, their events in life and what they went through and how they responded is what heaven recorded. And when we get to heaven, we're going to find out not, not that heaven is going to unfold all of the histories of the great men of societies and men of war, men and kings, but heaven is going to simply uh, record the humble people of God and how they responded 
to the world that they were placed into. Heaven is writing your history. Which leads to say, how are you responding to the world that you're living in? Are you just going to serve God and follow Him and submit to Him and, and, and let heaven record that? Uh, how, how are you responding? So we see this history. This history is a history. God's recording your history, my history. It's a history of people, but not only is it a history of people, and there's several things we can say there, but the, it is the history of God's providence. All of what we read about Egypt is a history of what not man is doing, but what God is doing. And the world's unfolding providence is exactly that. It is the providence of God. In which there are no mistakes and there are no accidents, but God is moving meticulously through history as He is preparing you and me for a new country. Thank God. It was the Lord that did the sending of Joseph into the land of Egypt. It was the Lord, the Bible said, who moved even the children of Egypt to hate the children of Israel. God was moving. It was the Lord who who raised up Moses in this matter of, of delivering the children of Israel. And it was the Lord who said, I am hearing, I am hearing, I am listening. I hear the cries of my people. When you look at the history of Egypt, it is a history that we can look back upon and see that God is the one who is totally in charge of all of the events. Good news, children. I know we're in 2011, pushing toward 2012. And we can look on the horizon, you and I that have studied uh, Bible prophecy, and, and it just seems as though that it just fits like a glove to the day and age in which we live. We're moving right toward the one world government, and all of that is just seemingly sweeping in upon us. But do not become alarmed because God is in charge even today. And there never has been a day in the history of mankind in which you can literally see God's hand matching up with Scripture any more than today. God is, is in charge of what's happening in Washington and in Russia and in Europe and in China. He's lining everything up. But he's doing all of this with his people in mind. He's moving us Forward, thank God, to that, to that holy promise that He's given us in Christ. The reality of Egypt, can I say, is seen in its history, but it encourages me to see that. But the second thing that I would have you to see is not only the history of Egypt, but I want you to notice as we, as we see and focus this week on your street, your house, your job, where you function and what you've gone through physically and mentally and spiritually, your world that God has placed you in and the history of that world that He's, he's writing how, how you have, have come through these events and it will be unfolded one of these days. But secondly, I want you to notice that as we look at the reality of Egypt, we not only look at its history, but we have to 
we have to look at its, at its pain or my word would be at its hurt. Hurt. Uh, Jesus said, in this world ye shall suffer tribulation. If I want to point out some terms that bring to light the things that are promised to us or the things that we're going to face as far as this world is concerned. If you will look into the scriptures, you'll notice that the Bible said in verse number 11 that they set taskmasters over them to afflict them. They gave them great burdens. So there's affliction and there's the burdens. Verse 13 said they served with rigor. Verse 14 says that they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. And uh, then uh, in chapter number 3, or chapter number 2, uh, verse 23 said they sighed by reason of their bondage and they cried, the Bible said. Verse 7 of chapter number 3, God heard their cry. He said, for I know their sorrows. And then in verse number 9 of chapter number 3, he talks about the oppression wherewith they are oppressed. And so he uses these these terms, but these are all terms that indicate that there is some pain uh, there is some suffering that is going on, and and the scripture brings it to light. And I, I move on to the New Testament to emphasize that John chapter sixteen: These things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. In this world ye shall have tribulation. Acts fourteen verse twenty two: We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 2 verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. And then 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. And of course the, the scriptures are full of that. Now, I have no promises in the Bible that you will not have a heart attack. I could not come this morning as I searched the scripture with a, with a covenant that said you will never suffer a car wreck nor will you have cancer and, uh, and that all your children will turn out to be doctors and lawyers and things of that nature and that uh, it will rain only when you need it and sunshine when you desire it. And uh, you're just going to have a wonderful life because you are a Christian. Now anybody that comes and tells you that is trying to sell you something. Uh, I think of the Scientologists who, who just simply say, it, it, what you're going through really does not exist. It's all in your mind. 
And then you have the health and wealth people that says, well, what you're going through is because you're not giving enough. I've got a handkerchief. Uh, no, I don't. I didn't bring one. I should have. That I will tonight, and I'll sweat on it a little bit. And if you'll give me $1,000, you can have the handkerchief and take it home. And whatever you place that handkerchief on, on a car, that means you get a new car or a boat or whatever you want. Uh, that's the health and wealth message. Uh, or I, I, I guess I could give you the power of positive thinking. Just think positive. That's not a flat tire. Just think positive. It's a tire that is airless. You know. Uh, but that's a reality. The reality is, is some of you are sitting here with pain of some sort in the back or shoulder or whatever, a pinched nerve. The reality is that some of you are going to have to get up and go to work tomorrow. I just can't tell you anything different. reality is, you know, you're going to have to, you raise your children, you have to send them to school. The reality is you have to go to the doctor and you have to pay him for it. The reality is uh, all of these, that's, that, you know what, I don't want to be cruel, I don't want to be indifferent to you nor myself. But can I say to you, that's just life. You know what you're living where you're at? You're just living life. No, no need to groan and moan and no need to get upset and all that other stuff. God placed you in this world and in this world you will experience as all others do. There's no exception to the rule. You're going to experience life. Now I don't know what that life will offer, but you're going to experience it. That's life. I, uh, my latter years of pastoring, I became a very avid and good counselor. As people came to me, and if you need to see me after the service, feel free. And they told me what their problems were. I just looked at them and said, that's life. <laughs> For the most part, what they were telling me, that's what it was. That's just life. We can't explain it away or do away with it. Every now and then God will intervene and He will do and alter something, but for the most part He has you where you're at because He wants you to experience where you're at, what it offers, and that's called life. The children of Israel had to experience life in Egypt. You've got to experience life in this world. You're writing your history as you live your life. And that life offers, for the most part, some pain, some heartache, some suffering, some oppressions. He uses all of those terms to emphasize that. I'll draw your attention just for a moment to some of these words to let you, to, so you can know. He uses the word bitterness. He, he, he says they, they made their lives bitter in verse number 14. The word bitter means basically to affect the spirit of man. Uh, to to provoke him and to vex him and to bring the worst out of him. That's what bitterness does. And I'm going to tell you, this world can set you up for bitterness because of how you've been treated like Joseph or or how how you've been treated like Moses in relationship to Pharaoh or whatever. But I'm going to tell you, God didn't put you into this world to respond in, in like manner back to the way the world treats you. He didn't put you in this world to be filled with bitterness. So history's being written. How, how do you respond to the things that you've got to go through? Will you be bitter? He uses that word bitterness there. And then he uses uh, not only times of bitterness, but times of stressfulness. That's, that's the burdens that he mentions here. 
The, the word burdens means to be stressed out. I've never seen a time in America where people were any more stressed out. And rightfully so, because all of our time is consumed with what we suppose is important matters so that we can live and it brings nothing but, but stress upon us. He uses that word, uh, uh, he, he uses the word affliction. The word affliction means to humble or, or it means to cause, uh, cause one to be humiliated. That's what the children of Israel were made to, to be when, uh, when the scripture said in verse 11, they afflicted them. Uh, what they did was they took all of the, the national pride out of them, uh, and, and, uh, they, they caused them to bow, to bend, and, and, uh, they, they robbed them of the spirit, and they, they humiliated them. Or if there's anything this world will do, and many times that's good because if we're not careful, we'll get proud and boastful. But this old world, it doesn't take it long to stick a needle in that balloon of pride, does it? I mean, you may be going, doing good this morning and you're walking on cloud nine, but just wait in the morning and you get on the job and that old foreman comes over and he'll just stick you with a, uh, a needle, so to speak. Or you get that telephone call from the doctor that says it's a little more serious than what we thought it was. You need to hurry in as quick as you can. Or, or we find out that the sons and the daughters are not living like they're supposed to. We get word that things ain't just exactly what we... And it just, doesn't it, it humiliates us. I'm talking about the effects of this world upon us. There is heartache, there is pain, there is suffering. He uses the word crying and, and sorrows and oppressions and, and things of that nature to show what we have to... He's talking about not the Egyptians. He's talking about the children of God in Egypt. And these are the cries that come out of God's children as far as this world. We, we, we have, this is, this is what we go through and this is how our hearts respond to it. These times of bitterness and stressfulness and humiliation, humbleness and, and uh, speechlessness. He said groanings, which means no words can, can be formed that could express how you feel. But thank God, times of attentiveness, God said, I hear your cry. I hear your cry. You know, one of the places of which I think expresses humiliation more than anything else is going to the hospital. If you've got any pride in you at all, don't go to the hospital. Because what they'll do is take all your clothes off and then they'll put something on you that there's not enough material to cover the whole body. So if you're walking down the hall, that's why they call it ICU. (laughs) Now why not put an extra foot of, I mean, you know, what if they run out of cotton or something, they couldn't make it big enough to where you could wrap it around you and tie it? No, it's got to have a gap in it. And it is, isn't it in all the things that you have to go through when you go to the doctor? And again, you have to pay for all these humiliating things. And somebody said, Preacher, why do I? I'm going to tell you. That's just life. That's just life. Here of late, we've had three or four flat tires on our truck and on our on our fifth wheel. And I began to wonder, you know, I, I, the last one we had, I thought, Lord, what what was... And I was telling him about, what is this all about? And you know what he said? 
That's life. Fix it. <laughs> you got a tire tool there. Get it out. Take the lugs off and fix it and quit whining. Haven't you noticed that everybody has them? <laughs> That's life. Fix it. And I sometimes seems like he screams at me in that area uh, physically when I have a physical ailment or something like that and you just come all alarmed. You want everybody to know about it. And you just run. That's life. Take your medicine and get over it. <laughs> now that sounds cruel, doesn't it? But isn't that true? Yeah. That yeah. is life. Yeah. <laughs> that is life. Egypt has its hurts. I, I, I wish I could come in the, here and, and this morning and I could say, boy, I'm going to tell you, it's so wonderful being in Egypt. It's, it's, it's all about uh, sunshine and it's all about, uh, you know, just wonderful experiences and roses and, and uh, all that other stuff. And, but I'd be lying to you. I'd be lying to you. And for the most part, most of us are in circumstances during a day's uh, experiences that if we could have chosen, we wouldn't even went there. But we, that's life. And you just live it. <laughs> it ain't going to get no better. You say, but preacher, can't you come? This is Sunday morning, we begin a revival. Couldn't you come and give us good news? I'm giving you good news. You're living life, so just live it. Yes. Where you're at. Yes. <laughs> Pharaohs ain't going to change. They just keep getting worse. Right. The demands ain't going to change. They just keep getting worse. <laughs> but God's writing history. He's writing history. Now, this matter of the reality of Egypt is we see the history of it. We, we see the hurt, the pain that is in it. But I want to close with this thought. And it is where I think the Lord wants to emphasize to us what he's doing. Because I want to go back to verse number 24 and verse 25. Now this is recorded here. It is recorded uh, as God talks to Moses in chapter 3, 4, and 5. It's recorded in, in, uh, in Acts chapter number 7 as Stephen speaks about it. But notice what it said. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die and will surely visit you. God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land which he swear unto a land which he swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Look in verse 24 of chapter 2. And God heard the groaning, and God remembered his covenant with, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now I want to suggest to you that while, while in the children of Israel in their world experienced what we call history and what we call hurt, as we do also in our everyday living, thank God there's something found in Egypt that Pharaoh and all of his armies 
And all the pain and all the suffering seemed to only magnify. It could not diminish nor could it destroy because it is something that God had promised to the children of Israel and it is called hope. Thank God if there's anything positive about the matter of Egypt. There's something in Egypt that God cultivates. He chooses the soil of affliction and animosity and uh, and so on. And in that soil, he raises up in his children that which is called hope. And Joseph said, I want you to know God will surely deliver you. God will surely bring you out. Now someone said, what is hope? Hope? is an inner expectation of what God has promised. Hope is not a fantasy. Hope is not a false feeling. Hope is not a pie-in-the-sky, fictitious belief or a mental illusion. But hope is that which is based upon the promise of God's Word. Hallelujah. Romans 15, 4, For whatsoever things are written afore were written for your learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. David said, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in the Lord. Aren't you glad that we've got something called the Word of God? That in spite of what we're facing in our world at this point in time, we can go and we can base our hope upon what God has said. And we have that inner expectation that this is not all that there is to life. And this is not the end of life. But thank God there's a better land, a better day, and a better country. And all God has done is He has used this old world to stir up within us a great desire for what He has prepared for us. Somebody said to you here a while back, you think the Lord's coming pretty soon? I said, not too soon. They said, why? I said, because I don't think our hearts are ready yet. We're not crying out enough for what God has to offer us. You see, the Lord's not going to drag Israel out of Egypt and force them into the promised land. But He's going to let Egypt work in them until finally they're going to say, I'm sick and tired of this old world. I want out of here. And even as John said, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. God's working His hope in us to where we have that desire for the coming of the Lord. Lord, would you come and deliver us? But you see, that is the process. There is the promise of this hope. There is the process of this hope. Romans 3 and verse 5. Listen to this. 3 through 5. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience what? Hope. You see, we've got to come through the processes. That's why the children of Israel are facing what they're facing. God is working hope 
in them. God is working hope in you. And God is working hope in me. It is a lively hope, Peter said. It is a better hope, the Hebrew writer said. It is a blessed hope, Titus said. It is a Christ-centered hope, Colossians said. Thank God for the hope of the God of hope. And I'm glad that no matter what the doctors may say, no matter what is on the horizon, no matter what the weather brings, no matter what Egypt has to offer, I have something that it cannot destroy, and that is a blessed hope. A blessed hope. A couple of things I'll share with you, and then I'll close. I met an elderly couple in the mountains of North Carolina several years ago. They have since passed away as part of the story. The husband, a godly man and preacher, passed away oh, 12 years ago or so. But we became very close. What people of faith and grace that they were. I just, I, I love to hear him talk. He talked about the marvelous, that's the way he'd say, marvelous grace of God. And he lived in that realm. It wasn't because they hadn't been through many dangerous toils and snares. They had as much as anybody I knew. But somehow God cultivated a hope in them. But he passed off the scene and then we stayed real close to the wife and she was real healthy, worked right on up, even, uh, you know, to a, a week or so before she passed away. But because of a medicine they had given her for her sinus, it attacked her lungs and within a two-week period, her lungs had totally been destroyed. And she was in the hospital now. Here's, here, here's this hope, and this is, this is where the Lord had her. She was in the hospital, and they came to her and told her, they said, now, ma'am, we don't have anything to help you as far as the lungs are concerned, but we're going to have some special to, uh, specialist doctors and so on come in, and perhaps maybe they can come up with something that will help you a little bit with this. And they had her on the breathing machine and so on and, and uh, for oxygen and and but her mind and everything else is all right. It's just her lungs. And she looked at them and she said, oh, no, we won't do that. She said, uh, I want you to call. Three of the children were there. She said, I want you to call and get all my youngins in here today. And uh, they all came. They got there. And, uh, and she looked at them. And she said, now, Bart, the only son she had, she said, what I want you to read is John 14. And then after you read John 14, I want you and the girls, and boy, can they sing, could they sing. And, uh, and uh, said, I want y'all to sing. And said, while you're singing, they're going to take this apparatus off me, and I'm going home. And in that room, that's exactly what happened. Bart read the scriptures, they sang, and they pulled the stuff off, and she went home. To meet with the Lord. Now, this is not a woman that was depressed. This is not a woman that had, you know, would like to. This is a woman that had come to the end of the road and said, "You know what? This is hope. I'm looking forward to something, and it's what God promised. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and check in on it. Ain't that a blessing? I like that song. My hope is built.
Well, nothing less. But can you see them uh, Israelites, the only thing they got in that world is hope. Everything else is a mess. But they're writing history with their lives. And I can see them as they're down there. You know what they're doing? They're making them bricks and they're building Pharaoh's palaces and stuff like that. And I can see them as they're down there and they're singing that old song. One of them just gets to humming, singing out. This world is not my home. You know, they wipe the mud off the bottom of that, laying that brick. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. He angels beckon me from heavens. And I can see one of the mother ones over there joining in. Open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home... Then, Lord, what would I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Ain't that what we're doing this morning? In spite of the aches and the pains and the, the promises of hurt and sorrow, we've got a hope. It takes us beyond this world.